0: You're listening to the Big Show with George Russick. Okay. There was
1: some super hot there last night. <laughs> okay, keep your pants on. And Maddie Rose. <laughs> Yo, no what's bin. that noise? <laughs> on Sportsnet 960, the Fan. The big show, Russick and Rose Sportsnet 960. The fan, live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio at the top of the hour. Frank Cron, our big show Flames analyst, will join us in studio, break down the big 5 2 win over the Canucks last night. And at an 8 30, for the first time, uh, we're going to try a new segment on the program Flames Hot Seat, where uh, the three of us will try really hot sauces. The hotter the take, the hotter the sauce. I'm a little nervous about this. Maddie. are you nervous? I'm nervous. I'm not really nervous. Um, you know,
2: eating spicy food is one of those things that is is not always enjoyable for
1: me, especially like these bottles look pretty nasty. Yeah, especially the one with the scorpion on it. Yeah. Maddie
0: Sharps. Scorpion and habanero. Yeah. From Belize. Oh, no.
2: Yeah. They look hot. I'm not nervous, but I'm not
1: excited. I'll say that for sure. Tweet
0: out out a picture of them. Yeah,
1: you should. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to eat a little bit of the hot sauce, and then we're going to discuss the hot take. So each one of us has to discuss the hot take after trying the sauce. Do you have like a list of hot takes for us to discuss? Yes. Okay. That's already done. It's already been determined.
2: Because I don't, I have nothing prepared. I have everything prepared for this. An empty belly.
1: I just need you to eat some hot sauce and Mm. do some hot flames takes. Yep. Okay. And uh, Justin Dunk, CFL Insider, um, three-down nation at the bottom of the hour. He's in Hamilton for the Grey Cup, which is uh, this weekend, this Sunday, from Tim Field in Hamilton. Um, Flames with a 5-2 win last night over the Canucks. Very, very impressive win. Flames have a very tough schedule. If you look at their next, like, 10 to 15 games, very, very difficult schedule. Starting last night with the red-hot Vancouver Canucks, a lot of people saying best team in Canada right now from the start of the season that that's in fact true they have been the best team in canada canucks uh, flames handled the canucks last night especially in that second period which i thought the flames were fantastic but there's something i noticed in the second period that for the second time in consecutive games we're seeing that maybe we didn't see this team doing under daryl sutter mm-hmm. set plays oh. there was a set play for jonathan huberto off the face-off yeah, it got broken up. Uh, his stick got hit while he was going to the net. But the, the Connor slap Zeri shot goal? from the top of the
2: zone, like off the face off, the one that you're talking.
1: It about? It was the one in the uh, in the second period where it was a set play and it sprung Huberto uh, on a, on a play into the second period for
2: the high shot in the slot, right? Yes, uh,
1: right off the face off. That's right. that's an old Daryl Sutter
2: play they've been running for a couple of years now, right. where they essentially win the faceoff and the left winger makes a beeline for the middle of the zone while the right point man gets to the far wall. It really creates some space in the middle of the ice because the opposition wingers try and stick to their defensemen and whoever's covering that winger, typically it would be a defenseman off the draw. Mm-hmm. They would rarely chase you out to the top of the zone. So right. the Flames have had this for a little while. I don't know if that's the play you're talking no, about, it, but it that's was... one that they've run, Right, and that's one that you can definitely do when you have the left-handed left winger and you win the draw cleanly. It's one that they've they've ran for a couple of years here and it creates chaos around the net.
1: It was in the second period and it was uh, a face-off in the neutral zone mm. and, they, and it set up Huberto to get a shot Uh, on the left side, and it just got blocked at the last second, but it was clearly a set play. We saw the Connor Zeri goal uh, in Montreal, clearly off a set play, and that's what I've kind of seen here from the Flames, that we're seeing a few more set plays that maybe we weren't seeing last year under Daryl Sutter, and I think it's a breath of fresh air. I, I think it's something that the team had
2: probably implemented last year. But I think that what we're seeing right now is more just an example of maybe some new things that Ryan A Huska. More creativity, sure. And and for me, it's it's more just an example of things starting to fall into place for this new system that Ryan Huska is trying to. Incorporate. I don't think on day one of adding a new system, you go, okay, here's the rules for the new system. And also here's three or four set plays that we're going to run. That feels like something that you kind of build on. You got to get your foundation down before you can start working on things like that. Now that we've reached the 12, 13, 14, 15 game mark of the season, I think it's time that you do start seeing some things like that. And honestly, one of the things that's also important here is the fact that you're getting some set lines. You've had some lines that have played together for a couple of games consistently. Now, I'm not saying that Ryan Huska was wrong in the juggling that he was doing all season to to start because he was trying to find things that would work. But now, in my opinion, I would roll with the way the four lines finished last game for as long as they continue to work because I feel like you actually have something here that as much as, yeah, you want your $10.5 million player on your top line, If he's going to be the most successful with Backlund and with Coleman on a team that doesn't necessarily have a game breaker that makes them, you know, anytime this guy's on the ice, that's their number one line. Like, for a little while, it's really felt with this Flames team that their top nine, one night, any given night, one of those lines is going to be going. One of those lines is going to be cooking. You hope. You hope. But I don't know if I necessarily expect one to go more so than the others any given night just based on what they have. No one has that much more talent than any other
1: line. Although I do think that they can do some different role type of
2: things just based on their personnel.
1: Listen, I've been uh, I've been beating that drum to have Huberto play with Backlund and Coleman. And the first game keep them there for a while now. Yeah, keep them there for a while now, because the first game didn't really go as planned. But I thought last night they were great. I thought Huberto probably his best game of the season probably um yeah i don't i don't like i don't like to do that well again i don't know but he was damn noticeable scored a beautiful goal yep right and and he was around it last night as well which i liked and showed a little bit of confidence and by the way we haven't even touched on this Mm -hmm. how have you ever seen watching the flames in the blast i don't know two plus seasons How long was that delayed penalty in the first period the Flames held onto it? I felt like the referee's arm was getting tired with how long that thing was in the air for. That was a solid minute of the Flames controlling it in the Canucks' end. I would
2: say at least a minute. Yeah. I I think it was a long, like minute long shift before the penalty got taken. Yeah. And then after that, they had a full line change, they had a deflected pass that. Thank goodness it didn't go in the net. Well, I was going to say and like they, they reset and they went back and eventually I'm pretty sure it was back when, or it might've been Lindholm who was just like exhausted and just gave the puck over and was like, all right, this is enough. We're done here. Let's it's just funny. You say on to that the
1: next. Cause I was thinking about that because you need to have control for the referee to blow the whistle, mm-hmm. but the Canucks can deflect the pass. And what if it goes in, it's going to count. So yeah. How does that make any sense? What do you mean? What well, does not really make any sense? Like you gotta have control for them to blow the whistle, but the Canucks can still deflect a puck into an open net, and then they could still get credit for a goal.
2: Yeah, like that. We I see feel it like it there's a like, lot of
1: gray area there. How, That's what like, I'm trying to say.
2: Isn't it once a year, maybe once every other year, where we get someone who has a goal go in while they're on? The six on five on a power play?
1: That Oilers game, uh, Darnay almost put it into his own net. He slid it to the side of the net. And I'm pretty sure that the
2: Oilers were one of the most recent teams to do this, where they actually did
1: score on themselves with the net empty because they
2: were about to get a power play. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it happens with deflected pass. Sometimes it happens with just a miss pass. Like, if you're going from one of the corners to the opposite point or the middle of the ice and you miss, and you get one bounce off the boards, you could be in trouble. So... Yeah, it, it was crazy. I, it was one of the things I was noticing too, and and there wasn't even any instances where you're like, oh, they could probably call the puck on that one. Like they could probably call it because oh, usually there there is a deflection at some point that they're like, oh, well, uh, possession, we're gonna call it
1: dead. Right, and there was nothing that was even close. Mm-hmm. Um, we always talk about Cadre has to get going, and Lindholm has to get going, and of course Huberto has to get going. But last night, maybe the two guys that we don't talk enough about specifically on this show that need to get going for the Flames to be successful, uh, they were going last night. Well, one, and to a lesser extent, Dylan Dubé played one of his better games of the season. He was effective. He was using his speed. He Mm -hmm. was around it. And Andrew Majapani was around it last night as well. That movie made on Quinn Hughes. to That set was up that gross. That was a that gross was movie. Also, not like, a
2: banner night for Quinn Hughes. No, was not a banner night, night for Ronick, Quinn Hughes. But, but, but they did not have a good night. And
1: Horonic when, when he fought Pospisil, was on for like 20 minutes. He had yeah. the Alexi Kovalev shift, <laughs> and then ended up fighting. He's like, please, I don't want to fight. I'm too tired. I've been on yeah. the ice for two straight minutes. But those are two guys that, if the Flames are going to be successful and be better, they need to have more of an impact on the game. And I feel like... Those two guys with the early season struggles have been kind of flying under the radar a little bit here for maybe dodging some criticism that they need to be better. I thought both of those guys were around it last night, and that's why it was a complete team effort because that's what this team is built on. It's depth, it's ability to roll, you know, three or four lines at you constantly, and that's what the Flames play best. And yeah, when Dube and Majapani are going, this team's hard to beat. Mm-hmm. They are
2: is up to nine points on the season now, which has him right near the top, if not the very top, for the Flames. Nine points has him tied for second with Nazem Kadri. His four goals is tied for first with Blake Coleman. Which, ooh, not really a good spot to be if you're the
1: Calgary Flames. By the way, Blake Coleman continues with that to be dirty great butt end on Connor <laughs> Garland. <laughs> was, that was nasty, and Connor Garland, like deservedly so, was, was upset. Busted. That was open. a butt end. Like, that was a, like, I I don't know if the league's going to look at that today. No, they won't. But that was a dirty, dirty play by uh, Blake Coleman, which I, listen, I. That's how you win a cup right there. That's That's how you win multiple Multiple cups right there. Yeah, Yeah, right there. Um, But yeah,
2: overall, thought it was great. Manjapani and Dubé, when they're playing like they can, that's what they can do. Yesterday was one of the nights that you felt like Lindholm could drive a line by himself. He was moving his three feet through the neutral zone. He was attacking with speed. That little play that he made on goal number two after Dubay gets hit where he could have attacked the slot a little bit more aggressive, but he realized that there was nobody behind him. So he kind of dropped off, waited a little bit, passed it off to the defender joining the rush, and that set up the eventual goal for Dubé. I, I think that the fact that Lindholm almost double-clutched might have thrown to Smith a little bit off before he had to make that save moments later, which led to Dubay being able to, you know, just sneak it out from underneath him and into the back of the net there. So I, I thought that play was one where he just looked confident with the puck. It was a great little stick handle that allowed him to avoid pressure. That's what I want to see from Elias Lindholm. That was, for me, like we talked about, best game of the year, best period of the year, whatever. For him... That was one of the best for sure. And and, and and that's what you need from him because he can have guys like Dubey and Monjapani look like real legit top six players when Lindholm plays like that.
1: And and that's a great point because what did Luke Gazdick tell us yesterday? When you're in a slump, uh, the number one thing you can do to get out move of that Move your slump, feet. Move your feet. Move your and feet. And that's what Luke Gazdick, uh told us yesterday. All right, straight ahead. We'll tee up uh, the Great Cup, the 100 and, uh, edition of the Great Cup. Eight? Patty? Seven? 110th. Whoa. Oh. The 110th edition of the Whoa, Great Cup. Big one. Uh Justin Dunk, CFL Insider, uh, Three Down Nation and Sportsnet will join us straight ahead. And our Flames analyst for the big show, Mr. Brent Cron, in studio at 8 o'clock. And we're going to play Flames Hot Seat for the first time. God help us. It's the big show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, Spicy. the fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Downtown Studio. It's the big show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. The top of the hour, our Flames big show analyst, Mr. Brent Cron in studio. Break down the big 5-2 win over the Canucks last night. And at 8 30, um, for the first time, we're gonna play Flames hot seat. I don't really know what to expect. SWAT. So could be good, could be terrible. Oh, I don't know. Spicy. We're uh, we're gonna talk about hot flames takes while ingesting hot sauce. So it could be good, could be terrible. My ultimate dream is to have like Huska or Connie in to do it. Maybe one day that (laughs) (laughs) maybe what would they be doing? Hot takes on their own team or maybe some stuff in Uh, general uh, life.
2: Yeah. Like if if, if it feels like an off season thing.
1: Yeah. We have to find something that they like that they have a passion for that we also share. We'll see how today goes. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if Brent kron has got heat tolerance. I don't know. He's yeah. got hockey in the afternoon too, and you got a plane to catch. Yeah, I'm going to be on a flight after ingesting hot sauce. I'm not. I didn't really think that through. It's fine. Uh, we'll talk about it uh, with Brent Cron. But right Thinking? now, so overrated. Uh, the Grey Cup goes this weekend between the surprise Montreal Alouettes and the um, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. To talk about it, um, Justin Dunk, CFL Insider from Three Down Nation and Sportsnet on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Justin, uh, good morning. How are you?
3: Doing well, fellas. How are we
1: doing out west? Good. Are you staying in Hamilton physically? Oh, yes. You nice. know it. Nice. Um, I made How the late comparison. were you out yesterday? Yeah. Where, where'd you go?
3: Man, I can't reveal those secrets. No, okay. Good for right. you.
1: That'd be true, pro. All right. Um, I went to Edmonton for the first time for the outdoor game. Edmonton and Hamilton are very similar. Your thoughts?
3: Oh, dude! I don't think Hamilton people would like hearing that. I can see where you're going with that. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit, but it's so much colder in Edmonton, man. Like Thursday, boys, you could have been out on the golf course out here. It was like double digits and sunny. Ain't hey, like that in Edmonton right now.
1: <laughs> no, it's it's no, it's <laughs> certainly not like that uh, in Edmonton right now. Um, are how many people are underestimating the Montreal Alouettes right now?
3: Pretty much everybody that is not a coach or player or within the montreal organization is thinking the alouettes have no chance this weekend so almost everybody
2: and how do you feel about that do you like the eight and a half points
3: you know i kind of do man i think there's been a lot of money come in on the blue bombers when this line even opened up i think it was around seven seven and a half and I think there is some value there taking the Alouettes plus the points. I don't think I'm going to put some money down on them on the money line because I think the Bombers win a closer game than people think. But I think there's some value there on good old MTL.
2: Chad, uh, pardon me, I was going to say Chad Kelly, but uh, no, he's out of this. And we'll get to him in a moment here. But uh, it was Brady Oliveira who was kind of the star of Winnipeg all season long. And now that we've reached the time where elements become a bit of a factor, you think that's going to be the main storyline to watch for on Sunday?
3: I don't think that's the main one, to be quite honest. And, you know, I would argue that Zach Laris has kind of put up these numbers that people have become bored with. His greatness, I think, mm-hmm. is being taken for granted. Oliver did have a great season, don't get me wrong. First guy in a long time, I think it's over a decade, to have 2,000 total offensive yards. Had the second-best rushing season by a Canadian. John Cornish, you guys know very well, is the guy that heads that list. But I don't think the elements are going to play much of a factor here unless there's some sort of a system that moves in late into Hamilton. I'll play weatherman here for a second, but it's going to be a little bit below freezing on Sunday. You know, the winds might be okay. Usually they gust a more, a little more coming off Lake Ontario there where Tim Hortons' field is. But you know, I think this game is not necessarily going to be one loss based on the run games for either team or dealing with the elements. I think we're going to be able to see, a you know, a crisp game that's well played and not necessarily affected by slipping and sliding or even massive wins.
0: Uh Justin uh, uh Dalton Schoen and Nick Dembski both sat out practice on Thursday likely not probably going to see Adam Big Hill as well just how is the injury situation going to play into this uh this Bombers team as it's just it's been a next man up mentality all year for them
3: It has been you know I would never rule out anybody with the Blue Bombers until that football yeah. actually kicked off and they've been declared inactive so you know we have seen Adam Big Hill walking around a little bit in street clothes on the sidelines. A lot of people kind of speculated that that injury might be an Achilles injury, but, you know, I don't necessarily think that's the case. Michael Shea hates any injury questions. You ask one and he's (laughs) going to stare you down to try to not get you to ask another one. You know, I doubt Dalton Schoen will go, but you never know, you know, shooting those things up and freezing can be a beautiful thing. But I do think Nick Dembski is trending towards playing.
0: Uh, assuming like, uh, just assuming he, pl- he plays at ad- that added element of Nick Dembski, who essentially he can be a double, he can be a, he's a doubles as Brady Oliveira, He's a quicker Oliveira. Like how, how important is it for the Alice to just focus in on those two players and try and remove them from the aspect? Cause really I, I, I I'm trying to find trouble, like them trying to stop those two.
3: And it's difficult though, because if you just focus on those two guys, then you got Kenny Lawler exactly. on the outside who can make some plays, and there's even Rashid Bailey in that receiving core, and Drew Tarski that from time to time can make some plays. But you know, I do think that Nick Demski's value to this offense is a little bit understated with all the talk about Zach Calera as a quarterback and Brady Oliveira in the season that he has had. Demski and Oliveira become the first pair of Canadian teammates to have 1,000 yards receiving, 1,000 yards rushing, respectively, in the same season. Oh, by the way, they went to the same high school too and you mentioned yes. it. he can be moved around all over he can play at any receiver position whether that's in the slot on the strong side the weak side he can play it receiver into the boundary or on the field side he can line up at running back he can take those kind of fly sweep handoffs that we've seen him do and really keep the defense on their toes so i think you got to focus in on him and he could be a key in terms of trying to slow down that offense but you can't go all out to stop demsky and all there because they have some other talented playmakers on that offense
0: It's kind of been like, uh, it's uh, over to Montreal. It's been a full circle moment kind of for Jason Moss and Cody Fajardo. You know, two years ago, they were in Saskatchewan. They were so close to knocking off this Bombers team in that West final. Had the lead with four minutes left. Then Fajardo, you know, hits the upright and whatnot. We have that. And now they're back together here in Montreal. Just how how big is that to see Jason Moss and Fajardo? It's like leave Saskatchewan and then in their first year together, get to to the Great Cup in Montreal.
3: I think it's more of a crooked circle because essentially okay. Jason Moss got fired, yeah. right? And Cody Fajardo was de facto fired from the <laughs> Rough Riders. They didn't want him back. So I think this is a redemption story for both of those guys. Now, they've been peppered with questions all week long about, you know, how do you feel about where you are in the Grey Cup and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders having this you know, terrible season, 6-12, twelve, seven straight losses for the second year in a row without you guys there? even though you guys were there when they went through this, you know, two seasons ago and they're not biting, but I do know that Jason Moss is such a competitor that there is a part of him that will enjoy seeing the Rough Riders season go down in flames and him being, let's say <laughs> celebrated. I was thinking of some much more colorful language, but <laughs> by the media here at the Great cup, For getting here, and full credit to those guys, Jason Moss has really changed his mentality. His actions on the sideline has controlled his emotions. And as it goes with Fajardo, they haven't asked him to do a whole heck of a lot, guys. The Alouettes had less than 200 yards Mm -hmm. of total offense last week against Toronto. So let's not go out here and say that these guys are running this crazy offensive text, putting all these numbers up. You know, they are capable of it. Austin Mack is a very intriguing Number one kind of type receiver, but these guys are full value for changing themselves because I think Fajardo's gone under this psychological change as well. He's not reading social media as much. I don't think he's reading Three Down Nation headlines as much and taking issue with them and letting it get to them. Yeah, and that's honestly real, guys. Like I've had what about the clicks changes with him? And I know, but you know, the thing is, it's not about the clicks, and I know he views it that way. We really just only wrote what he said. And he did not come off so well to Riders fans and even his teammates during his time there, especially when it didn't go so well. And I think what sometimes athletes forget about, especially in Fajardo's case, is when he burst onto the scene in 2019 and led the Riders to that number one seed in the West and they hosted the West Final and he was a West Division nominee for MOP and almost won the darn thing. It was Brandon Banks that got it that year from the Tiger Cats. that Everybody was giving this guy his credit. And we built him up. And it wasn't like we built him up to tore him down at Three Down Nation, to tear him down, I should say. But we built him up because he thought he was having a really good season. So I think some of these athletes now in the social media age need to understand, if you play well, people are going to talk about you positively. If you do not play well and you lose games, then your fan base is not going to be happy and they're going to pick you apart. That's just how it's always been in pro sports. But I think that gets you know, stamped even more in this social media age.
2: Wanted to ask you a couple of Stampeders questions, but first one on the East semifinal. Uh, Chad Kelly suffers a concussion in that game. He has a slew of turnovers. And I just saw on social media that uh, head coach Ryan Dinwiddie found out about the concussion online as well. Can you just tell us what happened here with Chad Kelly in the East semi and what has happened after as well, I guess?
3: Yes, we've been really careful with this at 3 com because Kelly told us exclusively on Wednesday night that he had suffered a concussion in that game, but nobody else, it didn't seem like, knew mm. that Kelly had suffered a concussion. You know, we asked his teammate, his left tackle there, Dejon Allen, that won the league's most outstanding player award on Thursday night in Niagara Falls, if he could tell at all that Kelly was out of sorts because Kelly had told us that he felt like even calling plays that he just didn't have the usual head about him, right? He couldn't pinpoint a hit in the game where exactly it happened. But he said that part of the reason or the major reason that he left the field didn't shake hands with any of the Alouettes players is because he needed to get into the locker room and deal with what he was going through. He called it an out-of-body experience and that it was scary. But Ryan Dinwiddie (laughs) wakes up on Thursday morning and his wife, Abby is like, Hey, Ryan, did you see what Chad Kelly told Three Down Nation? He's reading our website, and then I loved it because then what he admitted that he read it on three down, it's like, yeah, oh, you know, I probably read that site more than, you know, I want to let on. But the lack of communication there, guys, is what is stunning to me because I would have thought, and, you know, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily like to think of this, but when you go into something like, let's say, Randy Ambrosi State of the League, yeah. he is grilled by his own media relations team or communications team, however you want to put it, with all the questions that they think that the media is going to ask so he's well prepared. In this situation, Kelly knew that his first media availability after that game, after everybody realized that he didn't shake hands, he was going to be asked about that. So we were very careful in stating that it was Chad Kelly who said that he had a concussion. Now I believe there is you know, some sort of investigation going on from the CFL to understand well, you know, whether any, you know, even little things that you could have seen in him that would have led the concussion spotter, the league spotter that is there and supposed to take players out of the game if they see them dealing with the concussion, what they saw, maybe why Kelly didn't want to say anything, you know, in a big game like that, a record crowd at BMO Field. For the Argos, you can understand why Kelly wouldn't want to be pulled out. And you can also understand why he wouldn't want to say anything publicly and just try to deal with it behind the scenes because – He's hoping that there's some NFL interest. So, so much going on with that situation there, guys. But, you know, for Kelly's ultimate health, it does seem like he has at least passed the worst of what he described of this concussion.
2: Okay, um, I want to ask you about the Flames as well. Or, pardon me, the Flames. The Stampeders. Uh, yesterday...
3: You can talk about the Flames if you want, bro. No, we, we, We've done lots it's of Flames. Today.
2: Yeah, big game yesterday. Big win. We're planning the parade here. I uh, wanted to ask you about Brent, <laughs> Brent Monson and Mark Killam. Yesterday, the TSN lads uh, mentioned both of them as individuals that the Riders had requested to talk to for their head coaching vacancy. Can you tell us about that position? they got to make a hire within 14 days now. And if those are the only Stampeders coaches that might be up for other positions around the league.
3: Yeah, you know, I think Mark Mueller would be a guy that would be sought after around the league. He's shown that he doesn't necessarily want to just leave Calgary on a whim for any old position. So I think it would have to be something substantial for him. And I think it's warranted that Monson and Killam are at least getting head coach interviews, but based on you know everybody that you talk to, and I still think the interview process needs to play out. It does seem like Scott Milanovich is a front runner for that job if he wants it. And then also based on what shakes down in Hamilton, right? The Tiger Cats aren't just going to want to let him go. And there are a lot of people calling for some accountability with this team, with the way they finished the season and weren't able to make a home Grey cup. So until something definitive is said about Orlando Steinauer's future, In Hamilton, there's going to be some questions there. And you have Scott Milanovic, who's won a great cup as a head coach with your rivals just down the QEW in Toronto in 2012. So you might not want to let that guy walk out of the building. The one candidate that I really think the riders should be whining and dining and trying somewhat desperately – to try to get to Regina is Buck Pierce. This guy has been Mm -hmm. developing under Michael Shea for a number of years now. He's been in Winnipeg since 2014, guys. When he started his coaching career, he's been a running backs coach, quarterbacks coach, now calls the plays. He's been the offensive coordinator since 2021, so he's won a great cup. He's going for his second in three years as the offensive coordinator, and, of course, Winnipeg going for their third and fourth. And, you know, I don't understand if you're Saskatchewan why you wouldn't want a guy from your prairie rivals – who is a offensive coordinator? I think that's the way that the Riders are leaning in terms of the guy who they're going to bring in, and a guy that's developed under arguably the best leader of men in the CFL right now, in Mike O'Shea. And I know Ryan he's in that conversation one coach of the year, but O'Shea is a guy that values culture, and I think there needs to be a major cultural shift within that locker room in Saskatchewan. So if they could pry Pierce away, it'd be a win for the Riders, and then also a blow to the Bombers because then they would have to go and find. A new offensive coordinator now buck pierce has shown though that he's not just going to leave for any job he's very committed to that organization he truly likes the people that he has around him and i talked to him about this this week and i actually believe him he's not in this profession for the money and recognition that's obviously going to come if your teams are successful but he turned down interviewing for the ottawa Redblacks head coach job last year so i think that shows that he's waiting for Not a perfect situation, he said, but an ideal situation. And he said, when you know, you know. And he also said, when you go that route, you're all in. So I think that they should go with Buck Pierce. That would be, you know, a great, new, young kind of blood in terms of a head coach. But I do think Scott Milanovic's name is warranted. And the rest of the guys are going to have to impress through that interview process to get a shot at the job.
2: I wanted to ask you about McLeod Bethel Thompson as well. Do you think a return to the CFL is imminent and, and, and I don't know if this is a right fit, but we think about Jake Mayer adding a little competition in camp. Perhaps I don't think the money would work, (laughs) Um, but I wanted to ask you about McLeod Bethel Thompson his return to the CFL and what you're hearing.
3: Well, my man at Sportsnet, who I'm working with this week on the TV side, Rosh Medan, reported that his reps are in Hamilton at Grey Cup and are looking for a spot to him to return, guys. And, you know, I know you'd probably like some competition for Jake Mayer to be pushed there. but, you know, I don't think the money's going to work. Mayer has some yeah. guaranteed money left on that contract as well. The place that just realistically makes sense for McLeod Bethel-Thompson to go at this point and where they could pay him, you know, probably the most money out of anybody is the Ottawa Red Blacks. There was some talk about that. During the season when Jeremiah Masoli suffered that season-ending injury, yes, Dustin Crum is there, but he's on a rookie minimum contract. That's like nothing. Jeremiah Masoli's contract is going to be restructured. Restructured, So I could see a scenario where you have McLeod Bethel thompson as your 1A, let's say. Jeremiah Masoli coming back from this injury, perhaps he competes for that starter's role when he gets healthy, and then Dustin Crum is your third young and developing guy. It's quite a quite a drop excuse me to go for Dustin Crum who was a starter to end the season for Ottawa but I think it makes the most logical sense right you look around the league Cody Fajardo's on a multi-year deal the Argos aren't going to move on from Chad Kelly there is some intrigue around Hamilton I think that could be another possibility it does seem like Bully by Mitchell the more you hear during Grey cup week could be leaned towards going into his media career and beyond that TSN broadcast in some form or fashion that's not for certain yet i'm not reporting it as fact but that could be the only other logical place because you have zach laros in winnipeg saskatchewan has trevor harris under contract i think they'd probably be more inclined to go with the younger guy if they got a guy like buck Pierce. Harris, head coach like drew brown is going to be a free agent trey ford's in edmonton until you know he potentially leaves for the nfl and then you have vernon adams jr in bc Ooh. so i think right now as it stands you have McLeod Buffalo Thompson's best options as the Red Blacks and the Tiger Cats, but you know, things can change fast.
1: Um, Justin, before I let you go, um, I've been talking about this. Cause again, I'm not the biggest CFL guy, but to me, nine team league uh, always with the balance, with the unbalanced schedule, the unbalanced conferences, it just makes a ton of sense for me to have a team out on the East coast. They want it. Uh, they, I think it would do exceptionally well. You have an Atlantic team, Ah, uh, football's done well. When the CFL goes and plays games out east, it does well. What the hell's the holdup here, Justin? Why, why, why haven't they expanded out east yet? It just makes—is it because it makes too much sense that the CFL doesn't want to do this? Like, can you give me no. an actual, actual excuse? <laughs> I
3: don't know if it's an excuse, but sometimes the CFL gets in their own way here. And I think what happened for a lot of the recent years, at least, is CFL tried to play bully ball out there, and that's not how. Atlantic Canada wants to be treated in that regard. They were close and there was some momentum there before the pandemic. They had a conditional $20 million from the Halifax regional municipality. So it seemed like there was some momentum and they had mayor Mike Savage on their side at that time. But when I talked to Savage at the 2022 touchdown Atlantic, he's like, you know, we don't have a stadium and we're not going to build or put at least put money towards building a CFL specific stadium. So to the CFL's credit, at least for once, They've understood that, okay, if we go to Atlantic Canada and we legitimately want to have a franchise there in the near future, we're going to have to probably play at one of two places. St. Mary's University has a football field there. Husky Stadium, that's where the last touchdown Atlantic was. And the Halifax Wanderers, the Canadian Premier League team, have the Wanderers grounds where they've set up. It's more of a temporary facility. They're getting changed in you know these storage containers there. But the setup works. I think at least for that level. But I really see the long term stadium there being some kind of collaboration with Husky Stadium. So there was a lot of momentum this summer when the game was out there. Park Lane, the investment bank, had some representatives there at the game. They felt strongly that it was gonna happen. Ambrosi said at his state of the league that they're in discussions with an owner that they're excited about. But you know, I think the CFL needs to go about this in a polite way do Atlanta Canadians want a CFL team out there? Yes, but they don't necessarily want to pay for it. And when you say that they are on board, I don't think the mayor is quite yet. He wants to feel like he's part of the plan and being heard and not just kind of taken along for the CFL's ride. You know, I talked to some people out there guys and there were people that felt like the CFL was too corporate, which honestly almost made me laugh out loud because I don't think they're that kind of league at all for a number of reasons. But that's how some people in Halifax view the league. So I think they have some work to do, but if they get a guy like you know, Bruce Bowser who's been interested in CFL, he was part of that Atlantic Schooners group that got going before the pandemic, they get him really interested. Maybe perhaps he's the owner that they're talking to. I'm not reporting that. I'm just saying that is speculation. Then I think it could happen, but they're going to have to go about it with a – temporary permanent cfl stadium let's say to start and then p- perhaps build something in the future
1: hopefully it gets done because to me uh Justin, it just makes so much damn sense to have a team out mm-hmm. in atlantic canada uh justin dunk cfl insider three down nation and sports net terrific stuff today enjoy the great cup pal you bet
3: boys palomas are flowing oh yeah. nice oh, nice
2: five o'clock
1: somewhere yeah not bad it's <laughs> 10 a.m in hamilton <laughs> pitter patter dunk
3: Wish Uh, you guys were here for some, but maybe next year. (laughs)
1: All right, sounds good. There he goes, Justin Dunk on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest hotline. Our Big Show Flames analyst in studio, Mr. Brent Cron, is here. More on the Flames 5-2 win last night over the Canucks, and at 8.30, we'll play Flames Hot Seat for the first time. It's the Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.